It's good to be doing this with you again. Uh, it, this has really been a, a really rich uh, uh, last few weeks for me, uh, studying through the Psalms. Uh, they are uh, always surprising, uh, just the richness that is there and the different uh, things that they challenge us in our lives and uh, their ability to speak to us where they are has been really sweet uh, to study through them. Uh, I'm glad to get to do uh, one more here, uh, this fourth in a row. And we've said this a few times, one of the reasons why we've been preaching through the Psalms in order, we started in one and we're just going in order all the way through in the summers, we'll pick up next summer where we left off here, is that they uh, invite us to be challenged by things uh, that we might not choose to be challenged by. Um, We all have Psalms that we like in particular, they're really sweet to us. Uh, We all have ones that we might want to go to to try to address the situation we're in now. And there are also other ones that we might not so much want to go study and look at. And what this does is it challenges us with the whole counsel of God. It allows God to put before us um, uh, what he would, he would like to address for us as well. And it would be appropriate, after spending four in a row, that we would get one that is a toughie uh, before I get to turn it over to Charles. We have one in front of us that we could get into all kind of trouble Uh, this morning. Uh, What we're about to read is a psalm that is a song of celebration about when God uh, defeated a Gentile attempt to oppress Israel. So it is a song of celebration about where God saved his people and where he passed judgment on um, a group of um, Gentile as uh, not God's people Um, oppressors uh, who were coming to attack them. And I just want to name before we get into this, the reason why it could get sticky is there are a lot of ways that we can import our own thoughts and our own place into this psalm uh, to try to determine what it means for us today. Uh, There there could be some here in this room um, who now, uh, sitting here in Birmingham, Alabama, in the United States of America, uh, looking around at American culture and politics and who have concluded that there is a systematic uh, agenda to undermine uh, Christian values and to rid it from our public society, and that there are constant evidences on the news and uh, court decisions or whatever who keep reinforcing um, this idea. And you're very concerned um, and and grieved uh, by what uh, you see going on. Um, And this is just, first of all, just looking at uh, uh, the perspectives from uh, God's people, from Christians. There are also likely those in the room who also think the church in America is under threat, but it's under threat because of those who think the church of America is under threat. And it's, there's this other kind of viewpoint that, um, that the real struggle is a marriage of the church to Christian nationalism or a failure of the church to really grapple Um, with the sins of his past. Like, this is the thing that really is the problem with the church today. Uh, Those likely both exist in this room, and we're going to read this psalm differently, potentially, with those. Uh, You also might be in here and who are not a Christian at all, and we want to say that we are really glad you're here, and you're really welcome to be here. Uh, You might read this and see uh, the words that are said against celebrating a Gentile uh, threat to associate with the Gentiles. And say, why is God behaving like that um, towards everybody everybody else? Uh, I have not oppressed anybody, personally. And this seems like a blatant um, example of favoritism. 
And I just want to name all of those things before we read the psalm uh, so we can reflect on who we are and where we're coming from when we read it and so we can allow God to speak to us. And he is going to make us all uncomfortable in some ways and he is also going to have some really sweet words, I think. This is a really rich and it is a wonderful psalm. Um, that was a real, um, it was really feeding uh, to meditate on this week. So thank you for allowing me that extended introduction. Uh, Let's go to the psalm and let's read it together. This is Psalm 9, which is a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, would you have mercy on us all this morning? There is not enough wisdom or grace that I possess to communicate clearly all that you would have us know, but that you have promised that you are faithful to us through your word. Would you make uh, yourself clear to us this morning, uh, that it would be helpful and that it would be nourishing, and ultimately that it would call all of us uh, to hope and to joy in yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'll start off this morning by telling a story um, of a time of great awkwardness uh, that a few years ago that I experienced. I was at a party um, somewhere, and I'll say first that this has happened more than once, so if you're listening in, uh, you don't know when when this occurred. Uh, But I was at a party with some friends. The year was 2016, and we were having a great time. Uh, There was lots of food and beverage and laughing and uh, catching up and all that until... That faithful question was asked that should never be asked at a party like this. Somebody said, hey, Clegg, who are you going to vote for? And I'm not going to tell you who I was going to vote for. I'm just saying that to make you feel uncomfortable because it made me feel very uncomfortable. 
And I quickly found out that after just stating uh, my opinion as simply and as clearly as I could, that I was the only one in the room who felt that way. And that party could not have ended fast enough. It was terribly awkward. And there was only one thing on my mind after this. It wasn't really the issues uh, that were at play. It was, I need some relief from the tension here. The tension is so thick it could be cut with a knife. And I say that just to illustrate this point that oftentimes clarity comes with a cost. And that when we really say something, when we say something clearly, what we really think, then that means that we are inviting um, an exclusion of that this is, this is of, a, of a right and wrong. This is my opinion. This is what I think is wrong. Uh, it, it creates this inside and outside dynamic. When any new idea is presented, then it always replaces an old idea. And you know this is the case because if you just think about the number of subjects that you will not mention when in a public setting, when it is um, not a group of trusted friends, uh, there are many of them. There are many things we don't talk about. And that is because we know that clarity often comes with a cost, that there are social consequences um, to things being clear, to what we really think being made clear sometimes. And here's how I'm bridging from that. Keep that in mind and how we're getting to this psalm. And we have to remember who the people of God are. The people of God are not a special people. Uh, they are not the biggest people. They are not the brightest people. They are not the most, uh, the, the most faithful people. But they are a people that God pulled out and made a particular people, and he put his name upon this people. That it was through this people that God made himself clearly known to the rest of the world. He planted this people in the midst of all the other nations around in a very public trade route on purpose so that God would be clearly known. He revealed himself in clarity through this people, through the way they live, through the way that they worship. Everything pointed uh, to who God is. And that created tension with the people around them. That all of a sudden there was, as God is claiming that he is the true and the one God, there were also others. There were lots of great benefits that Israel enjoyed of being the people of God. That there was great envy um, from outside. And if you lived in Israel at the time, the threat was very tangible. It was invasion. That the Philistines or anybody else around here would wanted to take over this land, wanted to possess the people, wanted to dethrone um, um, this God. That was the situation that we're looking at here. But there is something about belonging to the people of God means to bear his name. And all around the world, since then, there have been consequences to this. And it doesn't take far to look before until we see them. I want to say our first impulse will be to look in the United States of America right here, right now, and to find evidences of where that is true here. And that's not always the best place to look. Because if we look around the world, there are people who lose their lives by actually stating what it is they truly believe. And one of the reasons we are given this psalm, it is not always because we are directly experiencing this situation, but because we are also part of the people of God.
who belong to these people. Singing this, we are singing this and reading it together with the community where we bear each other's joys and we bear each other's sorrows. And so one of the things a psalm does in the first place is it expands our vision. As when we look um, to see uh, how, how the cost is borne out. But that being said, there is also an element where there is a cost everywhere. And that is belonging to God bearing his name, it is to belong to the one who claims to be the one and the true God, the one who has made clear the way of salvation, that there is one way, and that this is not just an every man for themselves kind of matter. There is great cooperation between all kinds of people in the public sphere, between Christians and non-Christians, what have you. But to be marked by the one true God, it means that there, what is at stake is compromise of the truth. And I think we feel that socially. There's a sense in which belonging to this um, has the potential to be viewed as being complicit in one of the things that keeps division among people publicly. And so even here, there are subjects that you might, you might not want to mention uh, what it is you truly believe, believe because there's a cost. And we can see that too, and we can recognize that as well. But as we are coming to that, I think the greatest impulse that we will all face is that what we want most is that we want relief. And what we want is a peaceable life. We want to go about our business unhindered, not in conflict, no trouble anywhere, just relief. Israel wanted to live their life the way they wanted, without being attacked. And God granted them relief. And he also had something more in store than just relief. And for us, we don't like the tension that's often is created by clarity of the truth being actually claimed. And we also want relief in many ways. Some of us get it by trying to attack it head on. Some of us want to take it on by uh, hiding and saying that um, you know, we'll just be extremely private about what we really think. But even here, God is after something much, much bigger than that. And that if you see here in this verse, verse, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. This involves relief, but it is much, much more than relief. What God is promising through this psalm is that there is a way in which he wants to give us life to the fullest. He has more in mind than just the absence of tension. He wants a full recharge of all of our capacities that he has intended for us. He has not come to push low power mode and hand you an iPhone charger. He has come to fill it all the way up so that you can run every single app that you have at the same time without fear of the, ba- of the battery running out. That's what we have. And this brings us to two questions. What is the nature of God's relief? And what's its purpose? And those are the two points we're going to look at. First, um, the nature of God's relief. And second, uh, the purpose of God's relief. So let's jump in here and look at um, the nature of God's relief. And I just want to point out, it doesn't take long in reading through this psalm. He's saying that he'll give thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. He'll recount all of his wonderful deeds. These are actions of God. 
And he's giving a very concrete example that when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish. For you have maintained my just cause in this situation. You executed judgment. You rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. He's giving a historical example in the present. And I do think this is quite challenging. But the nature of God's relief is not just some spiritual otherworldly thing but that is actually very concrete and very present. There are many, many occasions where God acts in history and has acted on behalf of his people. The Bible is full of them in that story. He really did relieve his people from a bondage in Egypt. He really did thwart this one Gentile attack. He really did go to the cross on our behalf. It is a present thing. He is the author of history. He is behind every single event that happens in our real lives. He's not just waiting to a future time when everything will be right in order to execute his relief and his judgment for us right now. Here's what we tend to do, I think. I know I see this in my life. The trouble with that is that we don't always see it all the time. And you might find yourself like me when things are tough when you experience the tension, when you experience the cost, that we can feel like we have to make excuses for God to explain why he is not acting, and we can spiritualize it. We can make God's relief an otherworldly thing. It's just an emotional thing. It just involves my prayer life. And these psalms are depicting life in the dirt. He is actually present. He is actually at work in even the smallest little details. And as we pray and as we worship together, one of the things he is challenging us to do is not to have our eyes way out there, although that is good, but to seek and long for his presence right now because he is active and he is here. Now, That creates a crisis for us, does it not? Like we already said, um, when we do that, one thing I can promise you at times is heartache. And because we don't always see it. Even though he is behind everything that happens, we don't always understand why it is. And when we look out, what we see is cost after cost after cost after cost of following Jesus. And of being alive in a broken world. And I think acknowledging that he is active in the present actually pushes us into that tension. It doesn't let us get away with dismissing it, but it is actually inviting us forward into a problem. And because that problem is where we actually experience God himself. The second part of the nature of God's relief is not just that it is present, but that it is promised. And that he, it is not fully fulfilled what he is going to do, but he has given his word that he is behind it and he will make it right. Uh, recently, we had a thing going on in our upper elementary class with donuts. They kept asking the kids, and you guys are in here, you remember this? Um, they're asking for donuts at the end of every class. And I kept forgetting to bring donuts and eventually said, I promise. By the end of this semester, I will bring donuts to this class. And there was simultaneously 
a frustration that we didn't have donuts there and a yes, we got it. There's a certainty that is involved, that there will be good stuff uh, that is going to come. And the promise brings us into that tension. And that's leading us into the last thing. He's present, it's promised, but it is deeply, deeply personal. God's relief, it comes from his personal investment in his people. Promises have to be given by a person. And this is exactly what we see on the cross of Jesus not staying away, but entering in personally, as a person incarnated on our behalf, jumping in the middle of the story. We saw this in John 3.16, that this is a movement of love of God on our behalf. And the reason why we have relief now Whatever we face is because God has personally put his name upon you. And that means that he has totally invested himself and given himself for you. Here's just one more example. Uh, My kids are learning to swim now. They're finally almost all gotten to swim um, and we, we go swimming, then they love, especially the boys, they love to jump off the side of the pool, um, and they weren't totally competent, competent, but they wanted me to catch them. Um, and they would all do this at the same time, and I'm swimming this way and swimming this way, trying to catch the kids. But there's a reason they felt confident. One, because I was there, and I was a strong enough swimmer in order to catch them. Two, I told them, When you jump in, I promise I will catch you. And those are powerful. But the third thing, the reason they would do that with me and more than anybody else is not just because of those things, but because of my name. Dad. I'm their dad. I'm in the pool. I'm waiting for them. My life is invested with them. And there's a safety and there's a security that comes with that. The nature of God's relief, it is present, it is promised, and it's personal. And so where does that leave us? This is an invitation to participate in his life by faith. That can feel violating at times when we don't feel it. Because we don't always feel that he's there. Believing in something contrary to what we feel doesn't always feel good. But by faith, we are actually participating in what is real. His presence with his people is very, very real. And so through faith, individually and as a community, as we study um, this psalm, which is a song that is to be sung by a whole community, we are actually participating in a new life. Uh, Charles said this well this week, it is a new kind of life that is not dependent on what is going on around us and of our ability to control life. So you have an invitation. If you are here and you're a member of the people of God, this psalm is inviting you to a new kind of life that is not dependent on your control, that you can participate in something real, a true relief that is accessible to you now as you bear the cost. Now I'll do this quickly. But the second point, here's what we like to do, a sermon like this, especially if you're a Christian. Um, we used to say this in seminary. Uh, that'll preach. 
I think a lot of us could take that and we could go home and we could feel good and say, that's all we want in the sermon. Um, But that's not all that God wants from us in what we hear here. Because we said there's a nature of God's relief, there's actually a purpose to God's relief. There is a reason why he has done this, which is, just, which is bigger than just God's people. Let me point a couple things out to you. As he is, um, he is reveling in, in the, the preservation of God's people, if you'll look in verses 11 and 12, he says, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. The peoples means all peoples. Not just God's people's. And another thing, in verse 4 where he says, You have maintained my just cause. We have to remember what the purpose of the people of Israel was. And it wasn't just to exist without threat of invasion. The reason why God made this people was not just for the people's sake, but it was to be a light to the nations. So that all peoples, through this people, would know the personal investment and presence in the name of God. And this confronts us where we want God's relief. We want an easy life. And he has given us relief in profound ways, but that comes with a much bigger purpose. Being a member of the people of God is not an end in itself. That the movement of God is not to exclusion, but it is actually to make himself known to all peoples, that God is a refuge for the oppressed, that he is trustworthy for those who put their trust in him. It's for all people. That's why we exist. And so let me just say first to the believer, I think... I think that one of the deepest desires that we have in our own heart is to be known and to be safe. And God, as the refuge from oppression, invites that from us. It invites us to come to him with the cost that we feel, that he would know it deeply, and there he gives his name. But remember... That this room in here, the people of God, is a community of people who God has known and who God has delivered from oppression of all kinds. And so even as we gather together and worship, even as we go about our lives, what we are doing is we are communicating and we are embodying and we are showing the name of God, who he is and what he is about. He is able to communicate himself clearly to all peoples despite us, and that is good news. But this is a pointed call to us as we do life together, as we think about our life as a community together. That the putting of his name on us is actually, this is a gift that we bear his name wherever we go. And so this should be a challenge to us. It should be a challenge to us about our community. Is this a community that showcases God as a refuge for the oppressed? 
Is this a community that shows solidarity with others who are oppressed because we are the same? Other people who are in great need. This is our mission, and it is a good mission because it comes from our Father who loves us, who is inviting us into his work. I want to say this if you're here and you're a non-believer. I hope this makes clear a little bit, although this is not entirely comfortable, um, what God says. This is not an issue of exclusion. It is not the case that God hates you. What is happening is that God has given you his undivided attention. And part of the reason behind this psalm is that all the nations will be looking over the shoulder and seeing. As God delivers those who are oppressed, maybe that is the case for me as well. This is an invitation with your struggles, in your life, in your confusion, to see that God is a refuge for the oppressed. The whole point is a movement not to condemn you, but so that you might be saved through him. You might, be experience, you might experience the same joy and salvation and presence. And so I just want you to ask that maybe there is a movement of grace that is behind all of this as well. I'll close with this. This is for all of us. We've addressed both groups. Let's all sit by side, side by side and hear these words as a conclusion, whatever perspective we're coming from. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know his name put their trust in him. For the Lord has not and will not forsake those who seek him. Let's seek him now and go before him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you meet us in our time of need. And we pray that you would work in us. We long that as you have given us much grace and much love, that that would be known far and away beyond the walls of this place and of our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.